Welcome to Black Health Matters. I'm Daryl Armistead, your host. This episode is a Zoom recording of Howard University group session led by Dr. Clive Callender. Areas where people uh, kind of brush it under the under the carpet, you know, they kind of keep it a secret. Uh, it's one of those uh, areas I think people uh, are maybe ashamed of, you know, the, the idea, uh, or I have a family member who's, uh, who's got depression. A lot of people don't, don't understand it. <clears throat> uh, my experience is that, yeah, you know, uh, people with, with depression go to, uh, some go to a, a psychiatrist and get medicine and uh, you know, psychiatrists, that's, that's what they do. They, they prescribe medicine. Um, and you know, it's that, that, that's a whole bag of worms right there. Who's, who's subscribing, pres- prescribing what kind of medicine for which of these different kinds of dis- uh, depressive disorders. And, you know, um, you know, I, people who stop using drugs get depressed, (laughs) you know, so then uh, people who stop drinking and and drugging want to take something else to keep them from being depressed. So it's kind of a never ending cycle, but uh, it it, it is real and, um, you know, it's, it's nothing to be toyed with. It's nothing to be played with. This this is a, a very serious and real uh, dis- disease. You know, d- depression is is, uh, is is really something. You know. How many of you have uh, been associated with people who kill themselves? Yeah, I've had two two of my students. Uh, commit suicide, former students. First time I really remembered hearing about someone committing suicide and it getting caught, um, blamed on depression, or that was the diagnosis was when um, the representative in DC, John Wilson, who now the Wilson yeah. building is named for, mm-hmm. he was running, I lived in his um, district down in Southwest at the time. And I had just, he had just campaigned maybe a day or two in my neighborhood. And I, you know, we saw him and talked to him. And then less than a week later, they said he had committed suicide because of depression. And that was the first inkling really that I had. And that's when I started looking at it and, and listening and since then, it's been several other relatively famous people who have committed suicide. So it, it strikes everywhere, and it, yeah. it is something serious. Yes. Um, I was talking with my brother the other day about depression, and it's a sense of hopelessness where yeah. you don't see a way out. Yeah. And uh, we have. Well, a lot of sometimes um, 
in everybody's life, you come to that point where you yeah. might be depressed about something. Yeah. But it's getting that hope yeah. and doing, thinking that you would do something about it because we were talking about somebody that gets the, um, that they have cancer. It's yeah. how they treat it mentally that yeah. I can, I got hope that I can go through this or my faith in God yeah. or I'm going to beat this or something rather than a defeatist attitude. And uh, he was joking the other day when he was talking about how many people like to cuss and just, but that's one way of getting that somebody does something to you yeah. And rather than get depressed about it and internally hold it in, whether you do it verbally mm -hmm. or something, you do something so you don't get depressed by how that person is controlling you and you feel hopeless, helpless without uh, being able to do something. And I notice a lot of times when someone is actually doing something to me or putting me in a predicament and they say you shouldn't ever give anybody a piece of your mind, but you should talk up yeah. and release those emotions. And whether they do anything about it, at least you don't internalize it and get depressed right. that they have just messed all over you and you were set by hopelessly, helplessly not being able to do anything about it. So whatever you do, be able to release it. And even in our churches, sometimes we were able to release it by just going to church, screaming and shouting and everything. But now we're just quiet and we internalize this. We become depressed and have no channels of releasing all of this stuff that is piled upon us. And yeah. life, when it hits you, it just hits you. And when you start internalizing it and have no way to release these sad feelings, then you become depressed even more. And everybody, I think, can become depressed and sometimes until you learn how to release that stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. Because becoming depressed is not the problem. It's, it's maintaining that depressed state, as you said, not, not having any hope at all. And of course, I think Mark talked last time about the pain, we talked about the pain of depression, how, how it hurts. Yeah. And, uh, and sometimes people think that they can get rid of that pain by killing themselves. So it's, it's a serious problem and, it's, and stigma is part of it because uh, people don't want to go to the psychiatrist. Sometimes they don't want to take the medicine because the medication makes them feel bad. So it's, you know, it's, it's a tough disease and it's, it's becoming more and more prevalent as we become more and more isolated. Hopeful that as we get back to the so-called normal state, we will be able to decrease the rapid rise in the community. And also, uh, Dr. Callender, yesterday, the guy who went on rampage of killing in uh, California, they said he had bipolar depression. He was a white man, 56 years old. His ex-wife, the Chinese lady, she said he talked about killing some of his coworkers and all that. And uh, we don't know if he got the treatment for bipolar depression. Yeah. You know, um, one, one of the things that I learned from, uh, from my experience with, you know, knowing someone who, um, who committed suicide is the ability to, to listen 
when somebody shares that that, yeah. that pain and recognize that that that's the point. This this kid came to me. He was uh he was in college and mm. he came back over to, to Kelly Miller and sat down after band rehearsal and talked. You know, he was he was in a lot of pain. His girlfriend had left him and she was pregnant. And, you know, he you know, and then you know, I, I sat there and listened. We we talked for about an hour, and like two days later, he hung himself. So oh. the 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 ability to to listen and recognize that that pain and hopelessness that somebody might have uh, can also help them if if we act quickly enough. You know, to get yeah. give them help and hope. One thing that you can do is to try to go with them to, to the hospital to help them get treatment. Yeah. And you know, uh, last week, Janice, are you there? Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's what you, you were telling two weeks ago, just now what John said, is listening to them, you know, to get mm -hmm. it out of their system, you know? That's what you talked about. Absolutely. Whether it's a relative or an acquaintance and, Sometimes you can pick up on an individual's mood mm -hmm. and if you see them being withdrawn and sometimes you even know that they've gone through something traumatic, right. talking to them will help pull them out and mainly is getting them to talk. Right. Well, you can yeah. talk to them, but you need to have them talk to you and express their feelings and sometimes it will make them feel better. Yeah. But, um, I think you're forgetting what Dr. Callender just said. Mm -hmm. listening, John Buchanan just said, he listened to this student and they went right. out and killed themselves anyway. You can talk to them and unless you know the right thing to say and mm -hmm. how to do it, and even psychiatrists will say it'll take years and years and even with the treatment with this. And that's why there's so much high suicide amongst <laughs> psychiatrists. Knowing the right thing to say and how to listen. Yeah, they taught themselves and to kill themselves even more. They taught themselves into more of a depression than when they first started out because they just practicing and reiterating all these down points of their life. So unless you give them some hope or something, I mean, listening is really nice. But Dr. Callender just said, you got to um, put them in the way of getting professional help or somebody that can actually help because I know I can't, I'll listen, I'll listen a lot. And I'll say, oh man, they're depressed, they're on the deep end. But I have no idea what words except for encouraging. And Maya's real good in encouraging others and uplifting. But sometimes I just don't know that right thing to say. So I need to know I, what to see, you know. To right, and I agree with you 100%. I had a situation like that of a family member that was very depressed. Yeah. And um, sure, you can say, go, go, go. But you have to bring them into some source of, um, sort of realization so that they can think, maybe I do have a problem. Because they're yeah. depressed, they're not going to say, I'm depressed. No, if not. you pick up on it, and if you talk to them, and what I told this individual, I am not a professional. Yeah. I can listen to you and I can tell you how I feel, but I really think you need to go talk to someone. You need yeah. to go to a professional and explain how you feel. Yeah. Long story short, that's what happened. 
that individual went to a professional and continues to see this professional that has helped the individual through a lot of dark days. I agree with you. We're not professionals, but you don't overlook it. No. You try to help them. You talk them through it. You, You hope that you say one thing to make them realize maybe I do need to talk to someone. Right. And that's what happened in this particular case that I'm referring to. And it was a family member. Yeah. And Janice, you are blessed yeah. because you only have one family member. I can think of five right now off the hat. So I got a mission to do. <laughs> you only got one and we got five. Oh, no. I said this particular one. <laughs> you know, the other thing is that like Dr. Callender said, you know, depression is not one day or two days no, or anything no, like that. Right. No, it's, it's a long-term yeah. situation, yes. and which means that during that long term, the person could commit suicide along the way mm-hmm. at any one of those points. Right. Yeah. You know, so that's mm-hmm. important to remember. What what I would say in closing is that we don't have what it takes to help many of those people. And so we have yeah. to take them to help. And so exactly. Yes. We don't decide mm-hmm. they have to walk them to the hospital, to the emergency room. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. uh, many people uh, will tell you, I want to tell you this in confidence. But uh, when they tell you that in confidence, you need to take them to help because sometimes they yes. want to help. And then there's suicide telephone numbers that they can talk to mm-hmm. also yeah. help. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think the recognition that uh, we aren't the experts and that they are experts who can help them, they right. take them there as quickly as possible. Dr. Callender, I agree with you 100% because it happened in my husband's family just now. You know, his uh, cousin, she's 62 years old, and uh, we didn't know anything. Last month, uh, his aunt called and said, she had been, she's married, has children and everything, grown children, and that she had been drinking all this and her husband, children, nobody knew this, they said, uh, for more than 40 years. I don't know how they can escape that. But anyway, now she's uh, got uh, kidney failure, liver failure. And mm-hmm. the doctor said she's going to die soon. And uh, if she doesn't you know, get both the transplants, and she's now in the, they put her in the hospital yesterday. And uh, so you're absolutely right. For some reason, she was very depressed because she was raped as a young girl and uh, that played a role and she kept drinking all her life. We just learned about that. But I don't know, her husband didn't pick up. He said, I didn't know she was drinking, he said. So uh, now she got, it, it, look what it's leading to, death, you know. So you're right, you know, got to get the professional help. Mm-hmm. Uh, do suicide lines, suicide hotlines, do they work? Yes. We, we believe they do. Uh, and that, uh, if, if you can't get them to the hospital, it's getting to a suicide hotline. Uh, I, I was, uh, I have a friend who was on that hotline and she talked about how uh, it has been helpful to get them to go to get help because uh, uh, if you can get them at least to do that, that's that's, that's a positive step. Dr. Calder, can can you move your camera down a little bit? We can only see the top of your head. 
If he does that, he'll back away from the microphone, and that's not the best situation. Okay, can you see me better now? And yes. you sound better. You can't hear you as well either. You sound better now when you pull away. <laughs> that's Actually. This is this my computer. This is yeah, he's using a different computer today. And the microphone, he has to stay closer to the microphone. Mm -hmm. yeah. But I'll, I'll try to stay close to both. Okay, this is an interesting uh, uh, article that points out uh, uh, mental health situations have worsened. Uh, now, one thing that, that we didn't talk about is that it affects teachers too. And you are, many of you are retired teachers, so you, you can understand that might have some comments about that. Uh, because we always talk about the mental health of the students. We rarely talk about the mental health of the teachers. What are your thoughts about that, teachers? One thought I have is that there are several professions where suicide is semi-common. And as you're saying, one of them is the teaching field. The other is the um, police, policemen. And there were a certain type of doctors. I don't think it was suicide. I mean, they weren't psychiatrists. It was another type of doctor. Anesthesiologists, anesthesiologists. Yeah. Access to medicine. Right, right, right. So yeah, in the profession, but back to teachers. Uh, yeah, I, I haven't experienced any teachers. Uh, Carol stepped away, and uh, maybe she knows. John, you could weigh in on if you know any teachers. Uh, yeah, I, I talked to a lot of teachers, but um, yeah, it's 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 tough. I mean, you know, all across the board, not not being in touch, but also um, some teachers haven't been able to to get paid. You know, yeah. some some teachers you have to or would normally meet in person. Some mm -hmm. some types of um, Education cannot be done from a distance, like a chemistry lab or uh, a biology uh, experiment. You know, you, you have to have uh, in-person in uh, contact. And, uh, you know, so I, 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 I really don't know. It's, it's, it's across the board, but this article is talking about mostly about the, about the students who are now uh, you know, caught up in in the controversy. I mean, they they feel frustrated and helpless. You know, whether they're going to go to school, whether they're going to get that free lunch, you know, at school, or uh, whether they're going to see their friends. It's 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 really a really a big deal. Now, I'm glad this article is, is highlighting, you know, the effect that that the uh, pandemic has had on, on these children. Yeah, and that's, that's why so many people want school to be open again because of the mental health issues that become evident in kids killing themselves as well as just being depressed. And uh, uh, so many parents recently have had their children seeking psychiatric help because of the depression associated 
if you ask the question. Now, I know Carol has talked about the fact that, well, when you open the schools up, will that help? I think it will help. The question is, uh, how do we open the schools and uh, do we do it in a fashion that allows us to overcome the uh, isolation that existed before? Do you have any ideas or thoughts about how they should do that when they open school this fall? Okay, I have a question. Okay, we got the vaccination out. It's going down. So what are the parameters? Why can't we just open up like we used to do? No reason. After the, the, the metrics that you mentioned, are the ones that you govern. And when they reach that level that you're talking about, where we don't have the infection anymore, then there's no reason why we can't. So uh, it might be that by the fall of uh, uh, August, and that the numbers will be so low that it'll be okay. I, I think the okay. problem is, is those families who uh, like we talked about earlier, who refuse to get vaccinated. You're going to send the kids back to school. Uh, you know, if, if there's no safeguards uh, or, you know, like uh, the other kids, you have to have uh, the diphtheria, the tetanus, whooping cough, all those shots. You know, is there going to be any way to determine whether the, the, the students are going to have their uh, vaccination yeah. for COVID. Good idea. Yeah, but that's all just promoting fear. Um, they're telling now they're telling the churches that they can open to full capacity with masks on, and the churches are now very leery. Okay, we'll open up with twenty five percent, fifteen percent. The churches don't want to open up. The people don't want to come back because now there's a fear. And they're saying, it's okay. You can do this. And now the people, they're saying, it's okay to go outside without the mask. Okay, yeah, but I'm still going to take precaution and wear it. So how long will we have live in this state after they say everything is all clear, everything is okay, will people still be living in the fear? It may be, but it'll take time uh, because uh, what you mentioned is the psychological aspect of it. It does not disappear overnight. And uh, so you're right, it's going to take time. It's, uh, it's something we really have to work on because the mental health issues uh, are huge. And, uh, and if we come back with the fear to talk about, they will remain huge. And I uh, think. When we get to the point where we have virtually no active number of infections and we have nobody dying, then eventually that fear will be uh, replaced. It's, it's, you're right. It's, you don't push a button and the fear goes away. Uh, it's something that's going to take time. Uh, however, in the meantime, the number of young people have died, gone, committed suicide, and so the sooner we can get back to that situation, the better, but you're right. 
That's something that happens over there. Uh, next week, I have a, um, one of the psychologists coming in to talk about what the program she's, she's implemented in the school uh, to try to address some of these mental health issues. The athletes who have been impacted by this uh, as much or as uh, more than some other issues uh, because athletics have just about been stopped. And those people who might have been able to get scholarships because of that, uh, they no longer are going to get scholarships. So they're depressed as well. So it's a, a vicious cycle that uh, it will take a while to get over. It's something we have to work on. I have another question. I was watching, because my son was watching it, of this basketball game, my husband too. Now, they got all these players out on the floor without a mask, but the people on the sideline got the mask. I don't understand that either. Well, it's changed now. If you looked at the game last night, you see that uh, uh, the fans, they actually have, they have, they have set, Segregated it so that you have people who are vaccinated in certain sections and people who are not vaccinated in other sections. And the people who are, va are vaccinated don't have to wear masks. And so uh, ho hopefully we'll get to the point where everybody will be vaccinated and nobody will have to wear masks. Okay, you know? but I don't understand why the guys on the floor don't have the mask on and the people on the sub around on the sidelines have a mask on. Well, don't, don't, don't forget those players, they get tested every morning at 8 o'clock, every morning. Uh -huh. Well, all so, of them are being tested, so why when you sit down, you got to put a mask I, on? I don't think all, I don't think the whole staff may be getting tested, but the players are. Uh -huh. But sure. the players, and, once they sit down, they put this mask on. Well, then I think that's going to change as as everybody is vaccinated. But right now, it is, and I think there's a lot more on that about the fact that uh, the CDC saying you don't need to wear a mask is, is being uh, used by some and not by others. And, uh, that's causing confusion. But uh, and the CDC is suggesting that if you're vaccinated, you don't need to wear a mask. That hasn't, that's not true in every uh, state. Uh, some states do, some states do. And that's why, but you're, what you're talking about is the confusion and chaos that exists uh, because uh, uh, in some states you can go to a basketball game and they don't wear masks, in some states they do. Different rooms. But it is confusing. Now, this is an article that, that was. Presented because the issue of myocarditis in children will be coming up. And, uh, apparently, it has occurred myocarditis and myocarditis. And uh, they're saying that yes, it is occurring, but that it is not something that requires hospitalization. Uh, it does cause stress pain and may cause shortness of breath. Uh, but, uh, it doesn't seem as though it's something that uh, is causing people to require hospitalization or death. But it is something 
that is occurring. One out of every 100,000 kids uh, is not common uh, blood. If your kid is one of those people, Dr. Callender, some of these articles are what's causing fear. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, uh, of course, the question is, do you want to have uh, accurate information released or do you want forbidden? I think it's better to have it out there. But I don't disagree with you. Yeah, but knowledge sometimes causes fear, but uh, it's better to uh, know the facts and then not to know. Another, another example was the article about blood clots, even though the results were minuscule, it's those kinds of things that causes fear. That's true, but it's just important to let people know what's going on. I think you need to educate them. And that's part of education. Just let them know that yes, this is going on, but it's minuscule. Uh, and you don't want to hide it because people will come out with it anyway. So, but you're right, that, that does cause fear. And the main thing that, that needs to get out to the public is that everything is not perfect. Right, right. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think it's important to get out that, that uh, yes, these things occur. And you're right. And that mm -hmm. they, they are infrequent. Uh, just as uh, you see in an article that talks about uh, some people who have been vaccinated come down with the uh, Coronavirus. So uh, the question is, do you want that information released? I think it's better released uh, and educated about than be hidden. You got a good point there because I think the incident out in Wuhan, China, was kept secret. Yeah. Well, everything in China was kept secret. I think your your daughter uh, expressed it well. <laughs> when she said that uh, there's really no freedom for anything in China. Mm -hmm. So you can't speak, you can't do anything. So they hit everything in China. And we're learning they hit even more than we suspected. And uh, uh, one of the articles will address that as well. I, I would rather know about this information and be afraid of knowing than not knowing and be afraid of the unknown. <laughs> All the fear. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, the hesitancy in the younger generation is something that they're addressing as well. Just as they're addressing the issue in the African American community, addressing in the younger uh, community where uh, different novel approaches including what you mentioned in terms of the financial incentives. And I think uh, it's all about trying to make sure that as, as close to 100% of uh, Americans are vaccinated, we'll never get to that. But if we get up to 70%, that may be enough for the so-called very unit. To protect those people that Dennis is talking about, the weak protect by being vaccinated. 
that allows them to not take the vaccine and still not be infected. It seems as though um, different areas of the country, and I'm thinking about our area now, where because so many people in Maryland say are vaccinated, they're opening up and treating it as if it's herd immunity. Is that the correct way it should be done or should we wait until the whole country or? Well, I think that's some of the hesitation with people too. You're absolutely right. But 70% is the goal that we think we should reach in order to get uh, herd immunity. And uh, if in many of these uh, communities or states or areas, they, they think they've got close to 80% people vaccinated, so they, they think it's okay to go forward with it, and, that is, and that's the danger, if they're not correct. And, uh, and all of these places are opening up with the presumption that we're going to have her, and that's the fear. They, yeah, that, that's an issue. You brought up a very good point. And that's why, for example, in different states, you have different rooms, and you have different uh, infection rates in different states. So what applies in one state may not apply to another Also, um, uh, a point that some of my uh, Republican friends were talking about state control or government control over the individual. Uh, at, at a certain point, you know, it, it was really necessary uh, to, to have that kind of, of safety control with masks and distancing and hand washing and all that. But uh, the, the, the sooner we get out of the government control of that, I think people may you know, decide on their own that this is safe for them and they'll adopt those uh, uh, behaviors, you know, safety behaviors on their own. But uh, like where, where the, the city might say, okay, you, you can't have, um, you, don't, you don't need a mask, but the business, the, the, the hotel or the yeah. restaurant might say, well, you have to have a mask to come in here or whatever, you know, whatever the business is, the grocery store, whatever, um, you know, that, that gets the government out of the control and the individuals into control. Speaking of the government, I don't really understand how this became a, this uh, coronavirus thing became a Republican or Democrat issue. <laughs> I, I think, uh, you know, Trump may have started that. Trump exactly. Put out a question. No doubt. Yeah. Now, this is an a interesting article. 2.8 million sign up because of a million dollar lottery in Ohio, which is much mm -hmm. earlier. And uh, it works. <laughs> money works. Money works. It's, uh, it's, it's interesting. Uh, Maryland has it now. Yeah. And, uh, uh, we may find it in DC because of the, the uh, tremendous uh, lack of uh, African American uh, vaccination. We really need it in DC because of the fact of how many, what percentage of Black people are have coronavirus. 
Yes. Yeah. Seems to me that that's the next step for uh, for uh, DC. Yeah. But this is impressive. I think when we first mentioned it, somebody said that this is the way to go because money talks, and I guess there's no question that they're around. You forgot. And I joined. Interesting. Um, I guess they want to sell that middle seat. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> but listen, one year of free flights. Uh, does somebody want to go somewhere every day? Yeah, a lot of people <laughs> do. Yeah. I do. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, give it to me. I have a lot of places I want to go. Free. Yeah, that middle seat has been gone. Middle seats. <laughs> and uh, Buchanan wants to go to his uh, his um, snorkeling. Scu my scuba trips. Right? Scuba trip, that's right. Oh, yeah. Uh, that's interesting. So, well, we'll see which works the best. So if they all work, wonderful. Because the goal is to get as many people vaccinated as possible. Black people need the money too. <laughs> I think, uh, yeah. They've been keeping the money away from us. Well, I, you know, one of the things that uh, is going to happen is that, uh, you know, I, I saw the case where. One of, the, one of the patients in the hospital got coronavirus in the hospital. And what that's going to do is going to require hospitals to ensure that all of the staff are vaccinated. Uh, and that's going to be interesting to see how that play. Because if, if, uh, you have, if your staff is not vaccinated, they could spread the virus in the hospital. So this has for the flu. Uh, mandatory, you take hepatitis vaccinations and flu vaccinations. So, uh, it's interesting how uh, colleges are requiring vaccination and now uh, other places are requiring vaccination. And I think that by next year, many places will require vaccination. What are some of your thoughts about it? I think that's a great way to get people to take the shot. If they want to go particular places, they'll they'll get vaccinated, whether they really want to or not. The fact that they want to go or fly or just like um, Ms. Robinson said about going, her grandson going to school, he knows he has to have that shot to go to school. He, he's going to get that shot. <laughs> so... Or he won't go to school. <laughs> won't go to school. <laughs> what do you think of uh, police when they stop you when you're driving? You have to sh show them it's required that you have to show them their your driver's license if you if they ask for it. What about if they stop you and they ask for your driver's license and then they ask you to show them your vaccination? Car. 
but the vaccination isn't required to drive a car. You have to have a license. So we haven't gotten to that point yet that everybody, it's a requirement. Everybody has to have a vaccination so that you can have a card to show. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Uh, like an ID card. I'm thinking that in the future, maybe they'll pass a law where it's going to be required to carry around your proof of vaccination. Hopefully not. I, think, thinking of cars, John, I remember years ago when they first started with the seatbelt law. Yeah. I, I had a claustrophobic fear of wearing my seatbelt. But after getting stopped once by the police, my fear went away. <laughs> I lose my seatbelt. <laughs> so we do what we have to do when the time comes. You have to show your proof of auto insurance. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So they could pass a law. No, they cannot. It won't happen right away. <laughs> no. Then you see the more the Republican Democrat uh, issue come to play. Yeah, but it's just like when our kids are born, we know they have to get those shots, and we yeah. do. Yeah. And um, it, yeah. it's the law for them to go to school. So right. certain places, yeah, certain things. It may not be the law of the land, but it would be the law to do certain things. And right. if people want to do those things, they'll they'll abide by it. Right. But a lot of healthcare workers, doctors and nurses, and uh, in nursing home employees are afraid to take this shot, they say. So I don't know. Yeah, well, I think it's going to be required. By the You're right. It's a problem. Because mm -hmm. that means that uh, you could get the uh, coronavirus actually in those institutions because the people who are not vaccinated. So I think by next year, I bet you. Many hospitals are going to require the staff to be vaccinated. I know that song. I know. What is it? <laughs> yeah, uh, look at that in the park. Have you seen that uh, most people are not wearing masks anymore? Or what, what, what do you think as you go around? Out, out in the street, uh, most, of, most of them aren't. A few still are, you know, if you're outside. But they said if we're vaccinated, we don't have to wear. Right. Well, I still see quite a few wearing them. Yeah. Uh, I've noticed that in my area, they still wear them. Yes. There are some because they didn't want to do it anyway. There are some that don't wear, but the majority that I'm seeing still have their masks on. Right, they do. Because mm -hmm. you don't know who's vaccinated and who's not. I'm going to wear my mask. I don't know who's not vaccinated. Well, if, if you're outside, it's not that big a deal. But if you come inside, definitely I'm, I'm going to have a mask on. Right. Yeah, I'm just afraid. Inside, outside, I'm going to wear my mask. I, mm -hmm. uh, people I, know, I know I continue to wear my... I'm sorry, go ahead. 
Oh, I know I continue to wear my mask because of um, not knowing who have been vaccinated right. and who have not. Right. And because of the pollen, I find that I feel much better as long as there's a medium to a high pollen level with the mask on. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm going to still wear my mask outside. I, I don't I don't want the cicadas to fly into my face. They fly everywhere, boy. There's a lot had, over here in my house. I had one attack me uh, while I was walking yesterday. It landed right oh. on my right on my my chest there. But uh, and uh, a buddy of mine sent me uh, an advertisement for this uh, restaurant is selling. Chocolate covered cicadas. Yeah. <laughs> I am protein. <laughs> several of the several of the newscasts have their their um people eating cicadas on on while they're doing their newscasts. Yeah. Chocolate chocolate covered cicadas. <laughs> they can have them. I had barbecue crickets, but but not cicadas. <laughs> That's just as bad. <laughs> and they say you have to be careful um, being under the trees. Obviously, if you're in a uh, area where there are a lot of trees, of course they like the trees. And they were doing a report this morning, and it was very hot, so the reporter was standing under a tree, but he felt the droplets from the cicada, but it was oh. body fluids. They urinate. Wow. Yes, they'll urinate on you. Right. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well. I don't think that's urine. Hopefully, they're not carrying around the virus. Yeah. Mm. They don't spread disease. That's one thing about it. Okay, well, that's good to know. They that, also yeah. had a report about a lot of, I forgot what vicinity, but they're finding a lot of. Um, birds that are dying and they're trying to figure out if people trying to kill the cicadas and putting insecticide and the birds are eating the cicadas and oh. they're dying. They It was on the news report last night. They haven't determined what's killing these birds. Oh mm. my gosh. Yeah, it's in this area too, Carol. I saw that report. Mm. Well, this is a hopeful sign that we're getting so many doses. Yeah. Um, of course, we have a population of 350 million, but uh, we don't know how many of those people have received full vaccination. Many of those probably only received one dose, and they, some of them they need to receive two doses. So, uh, but anyway, still hopeful that by July 4th, that's what the president's target was that we had 70% of the country to have. Be fully vaccinated. <laughs> that, that's a dream, but you know. two days ago they were saying we were at fifty percent of full vaccination. That's nice. That's good. We're getting there slowly but surely. But we've got uh, what fifty-one cents. And it's interesting how that the other uh, 
part of it is uh, what percentage of people are not covered by the vaccination. And I guess there's one of the articles on that subject. I have not seen a recent article addressing the subject we talked about, which was why healthcare providers have such a relatively low percentage of people being vaccinated. Yeah. Uh, so that is problematic. Uh, it is. That the hospitals rarely have more than 60% of the people on the staff. Yeah. Vaccinated, which is not healthy. Mm. Maybe it is suicidal. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I think a, a survey uh, is overdue. It's time we, we addressed it. At first, it was a kind of surprising result to see that so few people were vaccinated in, among the medical staff. But now we need to know why and uh, take steps to overcome that. And yet they're telling the patients to take the vaccination and they won't take it. So that's a bad example. Except that those people are telling them to take the vaccination are vaccinated. Because there are people who are not telling them to do that. And it's true among physicians as well as nurses. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And in the nursing home where my sister-in-law is at the Hebrew home, um, more than 60% of those nurses, nurses and nursing assistants have not taken the vaccination. Mm. At 100% of all the patients there, they got their vaccination. Mm. Yeah, that's sad, isn't it? Yeah, that's, <clears throat> that's something we have to deal with and overcome. Does but, anybody have any, any idea why that is? That's what I was saying. I haven't seen any studies, any recent surveys to give an answer. I'm sure they'll be forthcoming, but we need to know that. It's very important. You, you know, Dr. Callender, a patient can uh, refuse to accept care from a doctor or a nurse who's not been vaccinated. Oh, they can? Well, how, how, how would they know? That's what's right. They wouldn't know. Yeah. They wouldn't know. Is, is there any real risk on the patients if the patients have been vaccinated? Is it really a real risk that the caregivers have not? Well, is it risk yes. for the patients, I'm talking. Yes, if the if the patient has not been vaccinated, you mean? No, if the patient has been. Oh, yeah, just the like the, and the caregiver has not. Uh, is there a real risk for the patient? Minuscule. That's what I thought. Mm -hmm. Dr. Callender, can a patient ask the doctor and the nurse, have you been vaccinated if you're in the hospital? No one's going to ask. Huh? Of course, you can ask. They don't even oh. have to answer. <laughs> they don't have to answer. They can say it's none of your business. Oh, no. Wow. Mm -hmm. isn't but, but anyway, right? But if you've been vaccinated, you, you always ask. Yeah. You always ask. And somebody may tell you. Many people will tell you that they're not vaccinated. Yeah. They're this, not next, 
This next article is the scariest one right here. What? Well, actually, it's, it's not that scary at all when you think about it. But it's... it's what is it? It's, it's so here's what it says, that uh, uh, 10,000 people had breakthrough infection. Oh, my. What it doesn't say is that millions of people have been vaccinated. And we know that the vaccine is 95% effective. So that figures that... Uh, Five uh, percent of people would not would not be vaccinated. Who have been vaccinated would not have takes. So uh, it's not alarming, but it's good to know that even though you've been vaccinated, there's a certain small number of people who can still uh, get the infection. And once they have that infection, they could give it to someone who's not vaccinated. Right. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And and what happens? The CDC, because the number is so small, decided that they would stop uh, worrying about it because it's it's rare. Um, because when you think of ten thousand compared to the hundreds of millions, it's uh, it's, it's, it's wonderful. Because no vaccine is 100% effective. And these are the best one. That's 90, what, 97? Yeah. So uh, the breakthrough cases do occur, and the majority in women. And so, in many many ways, it, it's it's uh, here again. It's, it goes back to what we were talking about before. Uh, would you rather know that or not know that? I think you would want to know that that this is where it is, so that you don't have any false rumors floating around. And I think I read a more recent report. That uh, CDC plans to discontinue collecting information on breakthrough cases because it's so uncommon. Now this is a this is a, this is an article that uh, is causing people to be concerned uh, uh, because. They realize that the Chinese people have uh, been hiding things because this says that they had researchers who became ill from uh, viral infection long before they ever reported uh, the, the uh, actual uh, coronavirus infection, which makes them believe that uh, they are telling the whole story, which uh, uh, I think most people believe that anyway. Now, most of those, there was a number of articles on this subject, all indicating that it is well known that uh, in, in Wuhan, China, they were working on uh, virus infection from bats uh, that had infected people. And they were working on these bat viruses in Wuhan. And so the question was, uh, did 
that don't do work on the virus, release the virus to the world. And so uh, the fact that uh, they didn't release any information until December, these people had the problem in November, leads people to believe that they're not telling the whole story. So there has to be more and more questions about, I remember Trump said something about this, uh, implying that WHO, the World Health Organization, had not uh, gotten the whole story on the uh, coronavirus. And uh, it now appears that this may well be the case. But it still says that it's coming from the back, not, not from uh, anything else. It's still, still is a zoonosis, which is a virus infection that comes from another species. So in this, in this case, the species is the bat. Dr. Calder, we talked about this issue before, about what viruses can be transferred from animals to man. Um, and this was one of them. I think there were maybe one or two others. Oh, many of them. Many of them. Uh, most, of the, uh, most of the viruses that we have are coming from other species. Uh, it's just that uh, uh, they haven't been caused, haven't caused huge diseases like, like coronavirus and the flu. Uh, but those are examples of, of zoonosis, is the term they use to call the infection you get from other species that come to humans. Are you talking of things like uh, malaria? No, well, yeah, well, yeah, malaria has come from another species, yeah. Uh, but I was thinking of the viruses, but that, that, it's not a virus. But yeah, there are other diseases that come from other species and infect us. They said that, uh, did they say that AIDS was one of them? Absolutely. Yeah, AIDS is one of them from, from the primate model. From the, uh, yeah, the primate model, they think somebody ate one of those uh, primate, <laughs> and that's how we got it. Oh my goodness. Yeah. From Africa, yeah. Yeah, so there's, there's a lot of evidence that uh, HIV is one of the uh, most dramatic uh, manifestations of zoonosis. Mm. I, I'm not trying to defend China, but I'm just wondering if we had um, people experimenting here at, say, NIH, and maybe two of our scientists got sick two or three got sick and I don't know that they knew right away what they got sick from, but if two or three of our scientists got sick, would we report it that same day or same week? They only waited a month or less than a month before they reported it. Is that really an unusual thing or not? Well, uh, I think the point is that when you know it, that's when you should report. Whenever you know it, because uh, what you should do then is immediately uh, isolate those people. And so they didn't do that until later on. 
So I think that the question is, whenever you know it, that's when you should do it. So if they knew it, or if they didn't know it, then it's not a problem. But if they knew it, then it would be it. Okay, okay. Yeah, I just, I just wanted, because a month just didn't seem like a whole lot of time, but I'm sure with the virus it is, but if they didn't know right away, but you know. Yeah, that, that's the question, and I don't know. We don't know the answer yet. There's a lot of talk about it. Uh, and when it first came out, uh, the Chinese people were not releasing the information. So now they're skeptical about China anyway. So, well, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. China and Russia the same way. Yeah. Now, uh, there's no question now that even if you had COVID, you need to get vaccinated. So, um, but there's a uh, uh, Rand Paul, I don't know who Rand Paul is. Uh, he was an ophthalmologist. He was a, law, a lawmaker now. He's a senator from Kentucky. Mm -hmm. Right. And so that was his decision to take. So. But uh, most scientists do not agree with him. They think that we should get vaccinated anyway. And he's a Republican. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But he, he he was one of the first Congress people to get COVID. You know, oh. so he he should know it's not a joke. That's for real, and it's not uh, a fake. It's not a, a hoax. It's it's real. He got it, but yet he's he's now grilling Fauci about yeah. them funding viral research in China. In, in that lab that where they say the research is being done on COVID. Right, right. <clears throat> yeah, he, he, he uh, yeah. Although, uh, I think that's pretty accurate, which is good. The question is, is a Republican a disease, being a Republican a disease? <laughs> no, no, it's not a disease. <laughs> uh, Dr. Callender, when when he talks about natural immunity, I mean, I thought there was no information that once you've um, you've been vaccinated, you still probably could get the virus again. I mean, we don't have the answer to that. I think all we know is that uh, if you get vaccinated, you're more likely to have a lot more antibodies and and sensitized T cells. Mm -hmm. We don't know the answer to uh, is natural immunity enough. We don't know the answer yet. Uh, and that's so, Paul, it may turn out that uh, he doesn't need any more vaccinations. It's just that, because we don't know, we think the best thing to do is to uh, give the vaccination. So it may turn out that Paul is adequately immunized. I don't know. And the other thing is we don't know how long the immunity lasts and from natural immunity or other immunity. So because of the lack of information, it was thought that mm -hmm. to uh, vaccinate people who already had COVID. You know, Dr. Callender, that, that was a good question because it's, it's very weird because some of the other vaccinations that we take, they give us 
a lifelong immunity. Some do and some don't. That's good. Mm -hmm. For the flu, we don't. Right. For the flu, we have to take boosters and everything. But others, you're right. Yeah. In the last uh, decades, and some. Also, there's a scary thing that it's not one flu vaccine. Every year, the the vaccine changes because right. the flu. Yeah. Uh, mutates and different versions are, and and they have to roll the dice as to which version is going to be more popular that year. So it's going to be different every year. I'm I'm wondering if uh, COVID is going to be different every year. You already already have three or four different variants out there now. You know, so once they get once they decide to give a booster shot, whether you know, what, what that shot is going to look like every year. Well, what we have to do is wait for the uh, studies on the <clears throat> first vaccine clinical trial patients, which would be about a year in July, and see what what the tests on their antibodies, to see whether they have lasting antibodies or not. But based upon uh, what we see from them, we'll have a better answer as to what we need to do. Well, we don't know yet, but we'll know soon. Yeah, well, I remember when we were first getting the flu shot, everything was okay. And then all of a sudden I heard that one year we had to get a double dose. To John's point. Yeah, we had to double, get a double dose is only for older people. Repeat that, please. Double dose is only for older people. Oh, is that why I was concerned? Yeah, because your immune energy wanes as you get older. And over 65, uh, you need a double dose. Oh, okay. It wasn't because the, the flu got uh, worse or anything? No, it was because you got older and your immunity level goes down. We got worse, John. <laughs> yeah. If you think older is worse, yeah, you're right. <laughs> it just got less, whatever. Yeah. So. Well, a lot of times people say, I'm not getting older, I'm getting better. Well, you may be getting better, but your immune system is getting weaker. <laughs> <laughs> Only somewhat. <better. laughs> I'm getting wiser. Yeah. You're wiser to your immune system that's weakening. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now the issue that still remains undressed is uh, is what what happens with transplant patients. That's an issue that still remains. I I think we had an article last week on that. Let, let me see if I can. Uh, I'm going to stop the share and I'm going to go see if I can find that article about transplants. Yeah, it, it, I, I, the, what it says is that basically uh, we have the tests that were done. I think John Payton uh, actually uh, predicted that uh, the data would show that uh, transplant patients uh, 
community is weakened, therefore they would probably require <coughs> higher doses. And uh, the test that came out of Johns Hopkins indicated that he was right, that uh, transplant patients are on medications that does in fact weaken their immune system and mean that uh, they do not have the same high antibody titers that people who are not in this first half. And so for that reason, we don't know exactly to what extent. It appears likely that uh, transplant patients would require additional uh, vaccine doses. Uh, so yeah, this, is, this is based upon that article that you see here, uh, that uh, um, the antibody type. Now, this doesn't tell you so much about the ability of the white blood cells because immunity is brought about by antibodies plus sensitized T cells working together to prevent infection. Uh, and all this test does is study the antibodies. Okay, and we know that the amount of antibodies is much, much less in transplant patients. And so it appears as though uh, the transplant recipients uh, would require uh, additional doses. Now that has not been worked out, but uh, uh, what John Tate had uh, predicted would bear out. Yeah, well, also, um, even though I suspected most of this, the other issue is how the uh, how the vaccine reacts with steroids. Well, that's what it's all about. That's what immunosuppression is. All, most of the immunosuppression is steroids, plus other medications. But uh, for the most part, we're talking about uh, immune reduction because of the steroid prednisone and other regimens, especially prednisone. And I think what is likely is that um, we will learn that you may have to do a double dose for transplant patients because of their taking immunosuppressive medication. So since John mentioned steroids, what about people who maybe have gotten steroid shots because of uh, pain in their knees or backs or something for years. Is that's, that... not, that's not going to okay. suppression because you only get one or two shots. And we're talking about people who are taking prednisone every day. Okay. And that's all I needed to know. <laughs> so you wouldn't need to worry about one or two shots. But that, that goes in and goes out quickly. Okay. Dr. Calendar, explain this thing that I've been hearing just recently on TV about the mono whatever antibodies. Oh, your monoclonal antibodies is a treatment for COVID. Uh, and, and you remember, now I think you all remember because you accused the president and Ben Carson of getting special treatment. Right. They went to Walter Reed and they got monoclonal antibodies that uh, uh, cured the disease, as a matter of fact. Okay. And so that treatment is available. Uh, okay. but, but 
because the vaccine uh, is preventing the disease, uh, many people who get the disease, you don't hear much about monoclonal antibodies, but they are effective at treating uh, uh, coronavirus, as is in some cases, uh, dimethyl uh, uh, type of methylprednisolone, uh, which is also effective. Oh, okay. I thought it was something new. Yeah. Well, no, it's not new. It's not new. It's just that mm -hmm. uh, because the vaccine, there's been less attention directed to the monoclonal antibodies. But they're the same antibodies that the Ben Thompson and the president, right. have, which we, we talked about the vaccine, but many of us didn't get. Mm -hmm. get okay. Thank you. Now, this is an interesting article because. Uh, people when they talk they, they, what we don't talk about is the people who are, who have cancer and have chemotherapy, which knocks out their immune system as well. And then uh, so you know, these people are in the same category as those cancer. Okay. Okay. And what is not resolved is now that you find out to don't have enough antibodies, what do you do about it? And uh, they haven't decided what to do about that. And they're working on that because they're doing special vaccine tests on the immunosuppressed patient, which they did not do before. Dr. Callender, they have been, uh, I'm asking, they have been working on that for a while because they have been working even before COVID came up, they were working on ways to try to reduce the medication that transplant patients needed. Well, yeah, because the goal is to, to have immune tolerance, which means you uh, don't have to take medications every day of your life. You haven't been able to uh, accomplish that yet. Still working. There's some, some research projects that are in process uh, that are uh, hopeful uh, in terms of getting to the point where you don't need to take any more medications. Uh, but uh, there, are, there are ways can be completed. So it's, it's going to be interesting, but what they are doing now, though, is that the initial test, they did not use transplant patients, but they're doing vaccinations now specifically on transplant patients and patients who have uh, immunodeficiency states to see how to overcome that. But we don't know the answer yet. There's a hope that you may have to have a booster uh, or a double dose for the transplantation. But we don't know the answer yet. And this talks about the, the T cell may, may be there to, to take over where the antibody doesn't. And so if you have a strong T cell, that's maybe that'll help. We don't know the answer to that. 
That's the little stuff there. The HIV community is uh, different in a way because those people who have uh, normal white counts uh, may have a relatively normal immune system, whereas those people who have uh, low white counts and are not and still have the virus uh, in a different category. So, uh, so that's still an area that needs more study. Calendar. When you say immunosuppressant, does that include uh, multiple psilocybin patients? Only if they're given medication. Only if they're medicated. Oh. I mean, people who are given medication, like prednisone okay. and those kind of drugs. Anybody on those drugs would be immunosuppressed. Multiple cirrhosis itself, and we don't think renders the immunosuppressed. But sometimes people are treated with prednisone uh, because they have multiple cirrhosis. And they would then be immunocompromised. So while we know a lot, there's a lot we don't know. Now what this does mean is that uh, uh, there was an article in the post, uh, a three-page article in the post, uh, about people who don't know whether they should wear a mask or not, because uh, they've had a transplant and this lady something. And so they don't know whether they should stop wearing a mask or not, because they don't know if they're sufficiently immunosuppressed or sufficiently vaccinated to uh, go around without a mask. So, so this is this mask or no mask has caused a lot of confusion for a number of people. And, and so they could have been very critical of Biden for uh, uh, not clarifying it more. Well, the CDC actually released report, report, not Biden. Uh, but anyway. So this is an issue. Dr. Callender, let me ask a question about people who have sickle cell disease. Oh yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, just like you were talking about multiple cirrhosis. Uh, the question is, how does uh, the vaccine and coronavirus affect them differently? Well, now the, the, the vaccine would affect them the same way it affects everybody else. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know any. I haven't read any reports on coronavirus in places with sick cell disease. So I can't answer you on that. I can just say that uh, they're not even suppressed. So they would be vaccinated with, with the, the expectation they would be like other normal people. Because their immunity is not affected. Their sickle cells are affected. So sickle cell people uh, don't have to take medicine per se? Some of them do, but it's not, there's not got the immune system, just acts on the red cell. Okay. 
Well, this we all know that. Uh, oh yeah. Uh, this exposed the COVID virus exposed racism, and uh, as we cure the the uh, virus, we need to also cure the institutionalized racism. So, but the question is, are we addressing institutionalized racism? We're addressing COVID, but I'm not sure that we're addressing institutionalized racism. And that's and that's uh, the the uh, problem that needs to be addressed simultaneously, but is not. So you believe that the issue that we have here in D.C. with the African Americans has more to do with the African Americans' refusal to take the vaccine. Uh, some would call it reluctance. <laughs> reluctance, okay. Or hesitance. <laughs> you said from 40% to 70%. 40% to 80%. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. Before we go, this has nothing to do with anything we have discussed, but Dr. Callan, I love that picture on your wall. Is that? Oh, with the, uh, yeah, thank you. Thank that you. is beautiful. <laughs> is that you as a young man? Or no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> nice concept. Of the guy the yeah, the other thing, Dr. Callender, I wanted to mention to the group is that guy from the radio station that came up here one time, his name is uh, Robert Sims, Rob Sims, uh, from WPW uh, radio station. He came one time and asked a thousand questions about giving, getting a kidney transplant. Well, he, actually, he got one. Oh, great. But and I, I announced that earlier, but uh, the sad announcement today is that he died. Mm. Oh, man. How long ago was that? Uh, two weeks ago. His funeral, uh, the transplant, um, Carol, let's see, the transplant was, I would say, about two months ago, two or three months ago. Three months ago, he got a kidney transplant. And I came back and I announced to everybody, and everybody said, well, tell him to come back. Tell him to come back to the group to let us know how he's doing and everything. But he never did get around to coming back to us. But they don't really know how he died. And that's the mystery about everything because, you know, he qualified for the kidney transplant. So any underlying issue that he had must have been either resolved or at bay or something. But he, you know, he was on dialysis, he had diabetes and some other things, but he had everything under control. They gave him the kidney and, and his heart, I don't, they just really don't know how he died. Just conked out, just conked out. Okay, um, so next week I'm gonna send you uh, the psychologist, uh, uh, Email address so you can send me an invitation. Okay. He's going to talk to, she is going to talk to us about uh, the initiative that she has in the 
Okay. And uh, are we going to have a group session this coming Tuesday for the uh, app for the application? Uh, June the seventh. Okay. June the seventh. Okay. All right. And what time did we say it was? June the seventh. I think uh, one o'clock. One, uh, one o'clock. One o'clock. Yeah, one o'clock. Okay. And uh, one report. How is John Robinson doing? He says he's going to go to hospice. But I thought he was already on hospice. But anyway, he says he's going to go to hospice soon. He's back in the hospital again. Mm -hmm. But his, uh, I, saw, I saw a picture of him. He's bringing uh, another person. And he seemed to be in good spirits. Mm -hmm. uh, but he's had at least six hospitalizations in the last year. Mm -hmm. And uh, the fact that he's going next to hospice kind of says it all. Okay. It is hard. It's hard. So keep him in prayer. Okay. Joyce, are you back? Yes, I'm back. Welcome. Welcome. Thank you. It's good, Welcome it's good to be back. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, we look forward to seeing you. Next year, have some news for you. Next year, to discuss Hey, Charles. Happy, happy, happy Memorial Day weekend, everybody. Thanks. Yes, yes sir. Thank you. Yes, to you. Sunday, Sunday is my. Sunday is my seventeenth wedding anniversary, oh. which coin which coincides with the cicada. <laughs> That's right. Congratulations. Yes. Celebrate. So you know for 10 years, for 10 you, years you get it. gold. For 17, you get cicadas. <laughs> Don't eat any. <laughs> you can. You can. My husband told. My husband told me to ask you if you knew a teacher at Kelly Miller named Kathleen Criswell. Criswell, yes, yes. Okay. She was a she was a wonderful woman. I, I just found out that she had passed. Yeah, her funeral uh, services are this coming Saturday. Yeah, yeah. She was great. She was a great lady. That, that's that's one of my husband's ex girlfriends. Oh, <laughs> he has me asking about. Well, I, <laughs> I, I don't blame him. He, she was, she was a wonderful woman. Wonderful. She was great. Always positive, and very smart. Very smart. Thank yes, you. Sir. Birds of the feather flock together. <laughs> <laughs> you hear that? <laughs> okay. All right. Thank you. Thank you, John. Thank you, Dr. Calendar. Alrighty. Thank Carol, you. Carol, call me, please. Carol Tatum. This is Betty. Okay. Thank you. Bye-bye, okay. uh -huh. everybody. Be safe. Bye-bye. Uh -huh. See you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.